Hi, I'm Stephanie, and this is Real Housewives of Neopia. Together, we're going to re-explore dark depths of pop culture, most of which you've willfully forgotten. Long time no see. I hope you legends have been enjoying your week or almost two weeks. I took some time off from the pod because I've kind of been going through it. To quote Jody Clayman, let's be frank about it. I've kind of been going through it. But it's nothing too dastardly, so don't worry about it. This week, I also went to the hospital, which ended better than expected. I don't want to go into too much detail, but basically I've had lifelong GI issues, and it reached a really extreme point that required medical intervention. That being said, I'm apparently a medical anomaly because... Despite how fucked up my body is behaving, there were no blockages or obstructions or anything like that. So that was a shock to me, but pleasantly so. It did alleviate a lot of my longtime anxiety just from being uninsured in America for a decade or so, because my issues felt so severe that I figured something must be extremely wrong and I'm going to die at any second. That may still be true. However, I can at least rule out this specific thing, which is a massive sigh of relief. For your own sake, I don't want to elaborate too much on what was going on, but I quickly want to brag about the time a Tumblr follower approached me in Montreal to tell me I gave them the confidence to speak about their bowel movements freely. I know how fake that sounds, trust me, But Aaron was there, and it was an incredibly fulfilling and hilarious moment for me. Clearly, whatever confidence I imparted onto her was a lot if she was able to just walk up to a stranger, a stranger being me, and my then-boyfriend to just give it to me like that. And I think all women should be more like that. But anyways, onward and upward. I'm now briefly going to be talking about my period right now, so content warning if that's triggering or unsoothing to your soul for whatever reason. Basically, I'm having a period for the first time in three years, and I regret it completely. To clarify, I've been on continuous cycle birth control specifically to stop my period, Because I have endometriosis that greatly impacts and interferes with my daily functioning. If you don't know what endometriosis is, I'll give you a really short explanation, which is it's when the uterine lining and tissue grows outside of the uterus. So it creates a whole host of problems and intense pain. And yeah, having a period just is not an option for me. But anyways, the bleeding that occurs during the placebo week on birth control isn't actually a period. It's actually just bleeding, withdrawal bleeding from the hormones. But for the sake of brevity, I'm just calling it a period. Anyways, you can talk to your doctor if skipping your period occasionally or altogether seems appealing to you. Personally, I can't recommend it enough. But with that said, there are some side effects I've experienced, which is why I'm experimenting by allowing this. 
I just wanted to see if a week off the hormones every month changes the game for me in any capacity. So basically, that's compounding my existing stress because I'm truly hating every second of it. One of those side effects I've experienced is a slight impact on my sex drive, but thankfully, good food still arouses something from deep within. Salted sake ice cream is my kink. There's so much food I want to cover from the past few weeks, but I'm just going to discuss some highlights to keep it brief. Since I just mentioned our torrid affair, allow me to start with the salted sake ice cream. So two Fridays ago, we had a lovely dinner which consisted of sashimi three ways, blowtorched mackerel sushi, which we got two orders of, garlic salt Brussels sprouts, tuna tataki, chicken knees, and that ice cream. It was major, and I had the best time ever. I've been in a place of dessert lately because that's typically what I turn to amidst inner turmoil. Since we finally restocked my lactase pills, it was only fit that I try a new milky treats. New as a new for me, not like new to the world. With a heavy heart, an empty bottle of lactase, I'd been eyeing this Bingsu place for weeks. Bingsu is Korean shaved ice, by the way. I really hope I don't come off as a mansplainer when I clarify such details, because I'm just trying to provide further info that I would also want to be provided with as a listener. So yeah, I hope whenever I use the phrase, by the way, I feel like a dickhead. So I hope I'm not giving dickhead energy. Anyhow, this place, okay, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but this place specializes in injalmi desserts, which is another thing that I was unaware of. So I ordered the injalmi bingsu without knowing what it was, but I absolutely loved it. Per the wiki page, it says, Injalmi is Korean rice cake made by steaming and pounding glutinous rice flour, which is shaped into small pieces and usually covered with steamed powdered dry beans or other ingredients. It was served with almonds and condensed milk, and it was such a light and lovely dessert, despite its enormous size. I already can't wait to go back there and get that exact same thing and just try everything else on the menu. If you don't already follow my personal IG, I typically post like 75% of what I eat and add it to the relevant story highlights. So if you want to see that sexy creation, my IG is at Botox Groupon, B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N. And that would be under the BC food highlight. Even if you don't want to follow me, you can just look at the highlights. That's fine. I understand. My lactase and I charged ahead by also trying some Japanese buttermilk soft serve, cheese tarts, and cheesecake from a place in downtown Vancouver called Castella's. The soft serve was excellent, and it was also served with local honeycomb. There were also like Cheerios at the bottom of the cup, which was a great 
take on cereal and milk. The cheese tarts I had there were the best I've ever had by far. And the cheesecake was sort of TBD because I think it was old. We did just go like an hour before they closed, so I won't hold that against them. It still tasted good and I had a nice time eating it, but it wasn't the freshest. So I feel like I can't judge it fairly quite yet, but we will be going back. I also recommend mixing the cheese tart in with the soft serve if you wish to ascend to another dimension, which I did. I don't know if I've ever explained this, but anyone who knows me knows that I clamor for something savory after I eat something sweet and vice versa. It's a vicious cycle, especially if marijuana is in the mix. That said, right after, we grabbed some hot Korean wings from Zabu immediately after. I love Korean fried chicken so much, and Zabu has the best that I've ever had, period. We demolished it in the car like Little Beast because we also smoked a joint while waiting for her to be ready. I have also been in a place of coffee crisps. And I consume them in the most evil possible way. I don't remember if I've ever discussed my Kit Kat disassembly method on here, but the coffee crisp process is pretty similar. I'm sorry to be repetitive if I've told you already, but this is the biggest impact a Kardashian has imparted anywhere. Just Google Kourtney Kardashian Kit Kat to see with your own eyes. But if you don't want to look at a Kardashian, which is valid, you basically eat the chocolate around the edges and then split up the layers. For me, it's a way more rewarding and sophisticated way of eating both Kit Kats and Coffee Crisps. I started just monologuing about this last night and Aaron was like, you should talk about this on your podcast. And I was like, probably will. And he was like, no, make sure it's verbatim. Say exactly that. So this wasn't verbatim, but I appreciate him being such a super fan. On the subject of being my favorite fan, I was telling him about how I creepily used to call into radio stations when I was like 12 to talk to male rock DJs and would catfish them, which was really dark, but he said completely earnestly without even a hint of sarcasm, wow, I'm so lucky. But enough about food and my husband for now, because I need to open up about my other recent source of comfort. Not only am I in a place of coffee crisp, but I'm very much in a place of Karate Kid. I watched the first Karate Kid movie, and it's basically like the best film I've ever seen. So we then binge-watched Cobra Kai on Netflix, and basically I'm just sprung on Karate Kid. I know a lot of you are Degrassi TNG fans just like me, And I recommend Cobra Kai to anyone who likes Degrassi. It's literally just Degrassi TNG with karate. Like it's a teen melodrama, but all ties in with the former Karate Kid people who are now adults. So they're basically the snakes and joeys and Caitlyn's of Cobra Kai. 
I was physically thrashing around at several different points while we binge watch. And I just demand that anyone listening who likes Degrassi to indulge in Cobra Kai, please. The first two seasons are out and season three is coming 2021. We also watch Karate Kid 2 and 3, and I think when I'm done editing this, we'll watch the Hillary Swank one as well. On the subject of non-reality show media that I love, Pen15 Season 2 is out now, finally, and we watched all seven episodes in one sitting. This actually, I guess it's season 2A because they have eight more episodes of season 2 coming in 2021 and I just I need them yesterday. I know I've shouted out that show before on the pod, but I can't express how funny and how gut-wrenching it is. Season 2 is just as amazing as season 1, but it is way heavier. Still hysterically funny, but equal parts heartbreaking. Personally, I cried three different times during the viewing, but one out of the three was because of a white zombie song choice, which made me laugh uncontrollably to the point of tears streaming down my face. I really can't and won't show my emotions beyond a surface level to people in general besides Aaron and a few others. But for some reason, I just can't help but openly sob at anything in shows or movies that arouse any sort of feeling in me. On that note, I simply cannot wait for Scorpio season. FYI, if you're wondering, my birthday is November 2nd, which is the day after Hello Kitties. She's a Scorpio too. So if you feel so inclined, feel free to tip me the cost of an edible via Cash App, which is Manipulatrix, M-A-N-I-P-U-L-A-T-R-I-X, is my handle. In a failed effort to transition seamlessly, I tried to find out if there's a fellow Scorpio on the Real Housewives of Vancouver. There doesn't appear to be, but Reiko, Jody, and Christina's birthdays were all inconclusive per Google. If I had to guess one of them as a Scorpio, it would be Reiko. Since that segue didn't quite pan out, I'll just say it. We are going to be talking about Real Housewives of Vancouver Season 1 Episode 8 and Episode 9. I figured it's only right since I took a week off and all. Episode 8 opens with sisters in trauma, Mary and Christina, horseback riding. Christina explains horseback riding was a therapeutic escape from childhood bullying for herself, so she wants to give Mary that same gift. They're talking a lot about Jody, and I'm obsessed with Christina's assessment of Jody and her shop. She makes the very apt observation that Jody thinks she's the queen of England, but simply just owns a small boutique that sells secondhand goods in Vancouver. She also says that Jody's Hermes bags for sale are either fake or secondhand. The pacing on this show is so weird and hilarious because that's basically the entire scene. It's very much 
in the theme of or inspired by the Real Housewives franchises of Bravo. Later, all the women have dinner at Tojo's. I was really excited because I've eaten at Tojo's before when I first visited Vancouver in 2017, and it's sensational. I actually had to recline my seat and lay down the entire car ride home because I went so hard at Tojo's, but I have no regrets. Ronnie says that it's the most expensive restaurant in Vancouver, which simply is not true. It's definitely a higher-end restaurant that's not cheap by any means, but I feel like you'd basically spend the same during a wild, crazy night at the Cactus Club and have a way worse time. At the Cactus Club, I mean. The main mission of this dinner is to clear the air between Jody and Mary, which, surprise, it doesn't quite pan out. As the dinner commences, there's a toast, and Jody refuses to clink her glass with Mary. They're hashing out the whole fake Judaism controversy, which surprisingly Ronnie takes responsibility for. I was really impressed that she copped to starting the whole thing since she seemingly starts everything and just leaves Mary to the wolves. The conversation is entirely unproductive because Mary refuses to apologize and at one point Jody even shushes her. She simply won't let Mary speak at all, which is sort of her M.O. when she interacts with anyone. She just doesn't let the other person talk. So Mary isn't allowed to speak until she does, and she calls Jody a wretched, evil person. Mary drives me nuts and is incredibly annoying, but I feel she has every right to say that. Jody is also filler shaming Mary and talking about her, in her words, not mine, ridiculous inflated face, which seems hypocritical since she's so obsessed with Ronnie, who I think has had an equivalent level of facial work done. Throughout all of this, Reiko and Christina silently leave first, and then Ronnie follows suit shortly thereafter. Jody wraps up this convo by simply calling Mary an embarrassment. Elsewhere, we get to meet Ronnie's two youngest children, five-year-old Charlie and nine-year-old Remy. I don't think we've met them before. I think we've just met her obnoxious sons. Her daughters are very cute. Remy was a micro preemie because Ronnie's water broke out four months, which sounds incredibly intense and traumatic, to put it lightly. On top of that, little baby Remy was asphyxiated for 17 minutes during delivery. It's a really sweet scene that softened me to Ronnie a lot. She is explaining that they were unsure if Remy would even be able to speak, so everyone in the family knows sign language, and they learned at a young age since they were unsure if Remy was going to be able to speak, and they wanted to ensure that they could communicate with her. Luckily, Remy does currently know how to speak, and we got to witness such a lovely conversation between she and Ronnie. Ronnie has Remy repeat the affirmations, 
every day and every way I'm getting better and stronger. I am smart, beautiful, and everyone loves me. Even though this television program is extremely demonic, it was nice getting a glimpse of Ronnie's softer side and learning more about her family. Meanwhile, Mary and Christina are planning this secret trip to Mexico. I don't think they're intentionally keeping it a secret, but they're the only cast members who are going. None of the other housewives are going. They're bringing along Christina's gay friend, Kevin, and Marika, who's that eccentric older woman who held Christina's birthday party at her home. I love the bootleggedness of this show simply being in the theme of Real Housewives because it allows for stunts like this. Cast trips with only two actual cast members and their random ass friends. If I've never made it known, I just want to say that Kevin has dark energy. I gave him a chance, but he reminds me a lot of this one acquaintance I knew who would grope my boobs and butt, but didn't see a problem with it simply because he's gay. I'm not just projecting because we see Kevin doing exactly this to the women constantly. They're slated to stay at Mary's friend's resort, Casa Chic, and her name is Lisa, and she is the co-founder of the iconic Blue Tulum. The ladies, including Marika, are just bikini shopping and basically gawking at Christina's hot bod. At this point, we see a bunch of random micro scenes mashed together in rapid succession. The pacing on this show is insane. Reiko and Ronnie get their nails done together simply to establish that Jody sent Reiko a pointed text saying, nice friend you are, can't believe you left the table. Again, that's truly it. That's all that happened in that scene, which is why I'm referring to it as a micro scene. Among this hodgepodge, we visit Mary, Christina, and Mariko getting spray tanned. Nothing more, nothing less. Then we quickly see a very tense coffee meetup between Jody and Reiko, where Jody is just nonstop scolding Reiko for leaving the dinner, and Reiko rightfully defending that she was there for no reason and that she can handle herself. Jody just spirals and talks at Reiko, her favorite thing to do, and she speaks over her whenever she attempts to respond. Classic Jody. Then, abruptly, we see Reiko buying a $10,000 bike by herself. Legendary storytelling. After that really weird Frankenstein segment, we can finally focus on the pilgrimage to Tulum, Mexico. Kevin and Christina are first to arrive to the airport, and then Mariko trickles in shortly thereafter. Mary, who's the woman of the hour, is missing an action because she apparently forgot her passport. She arrived to the airport, realized she did not have her passport, and then she needed to retrieve it and then come back. The clock is ticking aggressively with the boarding time just rapidly approaching. Christina says she's getting on the plane to Mexico with or without Mary. 
I respect this a lot because I would have done the same thing. I'm going to sound like a miserable hater, and maybe I am, but I just value punctuality and being well-prepared, and I always find myself disappointed and furious when other people just aren't, and it's at my expense. So I also would just say fuck it and go to Mexico rather than stay behind just to coddle Mary. Clearly, this is a loaded issue for me. (laughs) Regardless, Mary makes it and there's seconds to spare. After arriving in Mexico, it's a two-hour drive to Casa Chic, so the group downs several bottles of champagne in the limo. I for sure understand this impulse, especially after flying, but I need to know about their bladders. Like, how did that work? Upon touching down at Casa Chic, they're all greeted with disgusting blue Tulum cocktails. They just look so ghoulish to me, and I know that they don't taste good. I know it. Their trip seems to be a great time for everyone involved. We get to see nice dinners, dancing. Marika really goes hard on the dance floor. It's chilling. But nonetheless, everyone is having a great time, and that's all that matters. They do a Mayan clay purification ritual at the beach at one point, and it impacts Mary deeply. Even Christina says the change and the lightness in Mary's spirit is visible after the ritual, and Mary concurs by stating she feels the happiest that she's been in a very long time. I'm very happy that Mary has some respite from the nonstop psychological torture from Jody and to a lesser extent Ronnie, but I'm sure that won't last for long. Speak of the devil herself. Jody receives a text from Marika about this secret trip, and she immediately calls Ronnie to dinner so she can expose Mary, not just for the trip, but for starting an alcohol venture in tandem with Ronnie's. Let us not forget that Ronnie is trying to start her wine label named Rehab. Ronnie's pissed, and Jody is relishing in that. She loves the distress that she's caused. That's where we leave off for episode eight. So moving on to episode nine. We're still living, laughing, and loving at Casa Chic, and it's also Mary's birthday. She's waxing poetic about how she's left all of her troubles behind until she receives a pointed text from Ronnie, who's just expressing confusion over the secretive nature of the trip. Mary has the most unintentionally hilarious lines that I fixate on for hours after hearing them. In this one, I wrote down verbatim. She said, we came to Mexico to relax and to do the blue Tulum photo shoot. Yes, queen. Christina will be modeling and she's wearing something so ugly per Mary's request. Mary wants her to look a little bit more demure than usual, but Christina is far too sexually empowered and in the know about her own sexiness. Mary keeps on barking at her to be G-rated, and she's trying her best, but Christina's hot. 
In an effort to tame down the sexiness, Mary, of course, has Christina get naked and wraps her in sheer chiffon. Somehow, it evolves into a topless photo shoot that features both of them, which is a power move on Mary's part. She does look great. So does Christina. Good for them. Given the group's willingness to accept bold expressions of sensuality in the past, I'm sure this will be well-received. Christina has the second best line in the episode after Mary's that I mentioned, which is that she loves Mary dearly, but she thinks it will be quite a while before she's ready for more Blue Tulum. She has the Blue Tulum blues. As I've mentioned, the blue curacao alone just sends a chill up my spine, so Mary's friends are troopers for slugging those back all weekend. Reiko's only solo scene shows her riding that $10,000 bike to Dojang as it's time to earn her green belts. Since she rode her bike god knows how many miles, or kilometers I should say since I'm in Canada, She keeps getting fatigued during the test. I wrote in my notes that her sensei is like acting like a dom and it's grossing me out. He's really giving me James Spader and secretary throughout this whole scene, which I didn't appreciate. Ultimately, it wasn't all for naught because Reiko victoriously shows us her green belts and her talking head. Her athleticism never ceases to amaze me because I am anything but. I follow her on IG and she's a realtor now, so I desperately want to pop in on one of her showings. Crossing paths with one of the Vancouver housewives now that I live here is a sweet dream and a beautiful nightmare. I was nearly scared straight when I saw Jody comment on my friend, the Real Housewife orders, or the Real Housewives, with an S, orders on Instagram, post clapping back at someone who suggested that she's bankrupt now. Jody responded that that's false and she would buy the person lunch. If it was any other housewife besides Jody, I feel like I would absolutely take them up on that offer. But frankly, I'm in too fragile a state and I don't know if Jody's energy would be conducive to that. I definitely could be wrong. So Jody, if you're listening and you wish to have a respectful chat at Goo Garden, I'm down. On the subject of intense meals with Jody. Christina goes to lunch with her. She's 45 minutes late, of course, but she has a mission in mind. Simply put, she just wants to know what on earth her problem with Mary is. I think that's a valid question because we are all wondering the same thing. The vitriol is quite confusing for me just as the audience, but apparently that's a universal experience that applies to people who were directly involved, which is good to know. During this brief scene, Jody admits she hasn't even had the chance to get to know Mary well. This just raises more questions than answers for me because how can you hate someone so much who, by your own admission, you don't even know? 
Aside from that, she compares Mary to Chernobyl, which I'm obsessed with. She also said that she wants to shove Mary into a cubicle and cram her head in the toilet, like verbatim. Yet another revelation that raised more questions than answers, because who has a toilet in their cubicle? Much to ponder. Jody is also embroiled in conflict elsewhere at her allegedly secondhand shop, because Mia's new collection just arrived while Mia herself is nowhere to be found. Mia's collection is called MIA, which contextually is apropos. Jody's livid about this, which will fester on throughout the episode. From one tense lunch to another, let's talk about Ronnie and Mary. As they sit down and the waitress asks for their drink order, Ronnie says they'll order two Chardonnays with two sides of ice because she wants what I want. Amazing flex. Despite coming in so hot, they surprisingly bury the hatchet quite quickly. For once, Ronnie seems to hear Mary out about Jody, and they're just reflecting on how she's always trying to instigate problems between them, and Ronnie even admits that Jody has just always kind of had it out for her. This vindicated me as a viewer because I couldn't fathom how people thought Jody's behavior and obsession with Mary was normal. The convo ends with Ronnie declaring herself as Mary's biggest fan, which was very sweet. I usually only talk about how much Ronnie scares me, but I'm into her this episode. We also get to see she and her son Jordy having a business call about rehab wine, and they're speaking with a woman named Amy, who Ronnie relentlessly calls Mimi, despite being corrected multiple times. She also wants to invite the other women to wine country in Okanagan, so we get to see a few of those phone calls as well. Perhaps I'm reading too much into it, but she keeps on saying uncomfortable things about her son Jordy in the process, like joking about how Christine is going to sleep with him, or that Mia should do the same. It was not soothing to my soul. Christina brings Mary up to speed on the lunch with Jody, and she relays everything that she said. Not only that, Christina simply says that Jody is a bitch and a liar and a pig. So naturally, Mary and Jody decide to meet for lunch with the intention of moving forward. Jody keeps her sunglasses on and says she just got her eyes done when Mary questions that maneuver. Jody also tells Mary that she's acting delusional and flat out denies that perplexing toilet cubicle comment with the explanation that she doesn't speak like that. I'm very thankful that the editors chose to add the clip of her saying exactly that. As usual, she's also making fun of Mary's fillers, but this time to her face, which Mary denies having. No comment there. The subsequent talking head by Jody made me launch my body back as if someone hit the brakes too hard in a vehicle. She says, swearing on her life, she's never had any facial surgery. Hope her kids are still alive. Girl, what? 
For someone who threatens legal action whenever her nearly 30-year-old daughter is mentioned, I was shocked by this comment. Plus, it's pretty nonsensical. Mary's swearing on her own life and not her kids, but I guess that's just semantics. Whatever. There's no closure here, but are we surprised? At this point, I'm so pleased to announce that we're reaching the point in the series that I've been looking forward to this entire time. When I decided to cover this series on the pod, it truly ate me up inside to not spoil it for you guys. But here we are. If you've been suffering through all these recaps, this is my rose. Queen Christina invites Mia, as in Jody's daughter, out for drinks. There's an extreme, obvious sexual tension between them both, and I live for it. Christina just straight up tells Mia that she's intrigued by her and that Mia can call her anytime. There's great shots of them, like eye-fucking one another and grazing their stilettos together. In Christina's talking head, she even says that Mia's looking pretty hot and she's ready to take her home after a few drinks. I live. The housewives are slated to try on clothes at a store called The Bay, which is Christina's event, and she also invites Mia to come along. I can't wait to see how it plays out. En route to the bay, Jody scolding Mia in the limo for being MIA for the launch of her collection, which is also named MIA. Mia breaks the news about the topless modeling in Mexico, and the fight is squashed immediately. Jody says they have much more important things to talk about now. Christina and Mary arrive to the bay first, with Jody and Mia coming shortly thereafter. They just sit on the couch being hateful the whole time, which is a vibe that I really relate to. They won't even get up to hug or greet people when they come by, which, again, I relate. Jody says her time is too valuable to watch Mary try on clothes that she can't afford. She says private shopping is for the ultra-wealthy. Let's be frank about it. She also says that realistically, she and Ronnie are the only ones who can afford to be there, which is weird since she was like fawning over how rich Reiko is. But I guess since she betrayed her by leaving Tojo's that that just makes Reiko poor now, I guess. That's how it works. By this point, Reiko and Ronnie are also there. They're kind of in the background, but I just want to note. All the women are there. After much needling from Jody, Mary just tells her to her face that she doesn't engage with trash. And for once, Ronnie backs her up. Jody promises a, su- a surprise coming Mary's way in mere minutes, which is extremely ominous. After all of this flagrant behavior, Christina asks Jody to leave her event, which she does, but then she immediately returns inside to serve Mary papers. I believe specifically the papers are a cease and desist. 
it ends on that shocking note, and I truly cannot wait to see the trajectory of this dark, twisted fantasy. Hopefully that cliffhanger has you guys waiting with bated breath, but I don't think you'll have to wait too long to get some resolution. I missed you guys dearly, and I really appreciate you all for sticking with me and understanding that I'm a mess. Things are on the up and up now, so onward and upward, just like the Real Housewives of Vancouver women. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at BotoxGroupon, B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N, or the pod on Instagram at Real Housewives of Neopia. I will see you all soon, and I'm looking forward to it. Have a lovely week. I love you lots, and yeah, bye.